Amen. Father, thank you for this another opportunity to minister to these your sheep. Thank you, Lord, that revelation knowledge will flow freely, uninterrupted and unhindered by any satanic or demonic force. Father, I pray that you will speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. None of me and all of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. Christians must understand who they are in Christ and the rights that they have as children of God. And we've got to understand what this day is all about. We know that this day goes a whole lot deeper than eggs and bunnies. <laughs> but I want you to leave here today with a practical understanding of how to apply the resurrected gift into your life and to use it to make you free forever. So today is going to be a freeing experience. It's going to be something that deals with everybody in here, not just a few, but all of us. And I hope that the power of God and His revelation will just be good to us today and reveal to us what we need for these last days. Let's begin in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, verses 12 through 21. These are the basics of our salvation. It's like if we don't understand verses 12 through 21, then we won't understand the very basis of our salvation. Beginning at verse 12, he says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many." And not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's sin, or one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign un through, through righteousness unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord, and I must admit to you, the first time I read all those scriptures, I had no idea what it was talking about. So I don't want you to leave out the same way. We're going to do what I call milk the scriptures. And let's start milking verse 12, and let's get a hold of what he is saying here so we can understand what we have. Today I'm going to talk to you about the resurrection gift. 
Verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Let's start with that. By one man, or because of something that one man did, sin entered into the world. Well, that one man he's referring to is the man by the name of Adam. God made Adam out of the dust of the ground. God fathered Adam, which simply means that the type blood that was running through Adam's vein was blood type G. It was God's blood running through Adam's veins. You know that the blood type of a child is always determined by the father. And so God was Adam's father and the blood that was running through Adam's veins was God's blood. God breathed into this slab of flesh the breath of life. And the Bible says man became a living soul or another translation says he became another speaking spirit. Man was so cared by God that the angels asked the question in Psalms chapter 8, What is man that thou art mindful of him and that you care for him? That you would crown him with glory and majesty and dominion and power? Because in the book of Genesis chapter 1, God extends towards man two free gifts. Number one, seed. Number two, dominion and authority. Knowing that with seed and authority, a man can make his way prosperous. Then God looked at all the other creations and saw that they had help. So God put uh, Adam to sleep, took a rib out of his side, and made Adam help and called her Eve. Now, they were never, ever supposed to die. Their bodies were created to regenerate, and they were supposed to live forever. And God said to Adam, he said, you have authority over the garden, guard it, keep it, keep all the intruders out. He says, you can eat of all the trees of the garden except for that tree right there. And in the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Everything was great. Everything was awesome. It was an awesome time in the earth. They started in the Garden of Eden and they were supposed to spread this goodness all throughout the earth. But then an intruder came in. He came in through the form of a snake. Here is Satan using the body of a snake to open his mouth up and release his words. Where God told Adam not to touch the tree, Satan said, you will not surely die. You can eat of that tree. And so the woman was enticed because she saw the fruit of that tree. We don't know if it was an apple or watermelon. The Bible doesn't say it was a fruit. Amen. I'd like to think it was watermelon. Praise the Lord. Anyway. <laughs> so the woman took the fruit and she ate of the fruit. And it wasn't called sin at that point. It wasn't disobedience at that point because the guy who put, was put in authority now. If, if Adam would have turned to Eve and say, no, God said don't do it. And bless God, we're not going to do it. Then it would have never gotten to this point. But then when Adam partook of that fruit and ate of it, what God said took place immediately. Adam died that day. Well, they didn't put him in a grave. He lived for almost 800 and something years because the body had to learn how to die. So what does he mean? He died that day. Well, he said, the day you eat of that fruit, you'll surely die. What happened was the glory that was on Adam departed. Now, what are you talking about the glory? Well, you notice every animal that's born is born with its own natural coat. A dog is born with its own natural coat. A bear is born with its own natural coat. They don't have to go and get clothes. Well, man didn't start off wearing artificial clothing. 
man had his natural coat on and it was the glory of God. He was not exposed, but he did not have on artificial clothes because he was covered with the glory of God. But if you'll notice in the Bible, when man sinned, he lost his coat and had to go find some fig leaves to sew together to put around him to cover up what was exposed. So please, man had a natural coat on called the glory of God, but he lost it when he sinned and disobeyed God. Now that day when Adam sinned, he committed high treason. That simply means he betrayed God by taking the crown, the glory, the dominion, and the authority and handing it over to the enemy of heaven. Hand it over to Satan, who had been responsible for a rebellion in heaven that caused a third of the angels to be kicked out of heaven. And here is Adam turning this authority over to God's enemy and making Satan the God of the world. Now, when he did that, there was an effect that took place. Because I used to think, well, God, that's not a big deal. You're God. Just, you know, throw a lightning bolt on Adam and, and drown Eve and start over again. But it wasn't just that simple. You see, God couldn't make another man out of the dust of the ground because the dust of the ground was no longer under his authority. Adam turned it over to Satan. And when Adam sinned, this sin affected everything from the dust of the ground all the way up to the throne of God, but not including the throne of God. So the only one that had not been infected was God Almighty. You know, somebody says, well, why don't God just come down and just fix everything? Well, God put a law in order that said that in order to have legal authority on the planet, you have to have an earth suit or you have to be a man. You have to come through the womb of a woman. So he just can't come down and do something because he set the order that you have to be a man, you have to be a human in order to exercise legal authority on this planet. So now God's got to try to figure a way out to redeem man because once Adam sinned, his, everything in Adam's loins sinned. All who were to come out of Adam sinned. So from that point on, Everybody born in the earth would be born in the earth as a sinner. You don't do nothing to become a sinner. Adam did it for you. And as a result of what Adam did, we are now made sinners. David knew about it. He said we were born into sin and shaped into iniquity. So God's got the only one. He's the only one to get us out of this situation. But now we got to hope that he wants to get involved. We got to hope that it hadn't repented him that he ever created man. If he doesn't get involved, mankind is doomed and subject to death and subject to sin all the days of their life. So God went to work. And he realized that the same way he created the earth with words, he'll be able to get us out of this situation with words. But he's got to find a man who he can cut the blood covenant with to teach the word to his family and to pass it down from generation to generation. He ran across this man by the name of Abram. Abram at this time was a worshiper of the moon. He was involved in idolatry. And God came to Abram and introduced himself. And he said, Abram, I am the almighty God. Walk before me, be ye perfect, and I'll be your God. He said, Abram, I'm going to give you land for you to inherit. 
And Abram said, I don't even know who you are. How can I believe that I'm going to inherit this land? Now notice what God's doing, trying to set Abram up so he can trust his words. He said, I tell you what, Abram, I know you don't know me, but I am familiar with how you make agreements on the planet. You see, there was something called blood covenant. And a blood covenant meant that you had to make an agreement in blood. And the only way you get out of that agreement is you have to die. And if you break the agreement without dying, then somebody will find you and keep you. How many you know that's a strong agreement? That if that covenant were, was enforced today, that simply means when you get married, you'd have to get married by exchanging your blood with one another. And you couldn't get a divorce because if you got a divorce, somebody in the family could find you and legally shoot you. How I many you know the divorce rate would go down? <laughs> so God cut a covenant with a man by the name of Abram. Now please understand, whenever a covenant is cut between two par parties, there's always an exchange of things. There's, a, there's an exchange of names, there's an exchange of authority, there's an exchange of dominion. In a covenant relationship, what one party asks you to do, the other party's got to be willing to do the same thing, but take it to another step. So God showed the seriousness of his willingness to, uh, to, to give his word to Abraham by, by cutting a covenant with him, a blood covenant. And in Genesis chapter 15, you will read that there was a smoking furnace or a burning lamp moving between two halves. That was God that came off of the throne of heaven and walked in the blood of an animal so that he could make an agreement with a man to show the man Abraham that he was serious about his word. And when, when Abram saw God walking in between those two halves, he knew he could believe any word that God would say. Genesis chapter 22, God begins to test the system and he says, Abraham, Abraham. I want you to take your only son, Isaac, your only son, Isaac, that I promised you that in him will you'll have a seed that outnumbers the stars. And I want you to take him to Mount Moriah and I want you to kill him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham knew what God had already promised. God had already said you're going to have a seed that outnumbers stars. God had already said that you're going to have a great number of seed that come out of Isaac. So Abraham had already decided, well, if I have to kill him, I'm going to get an image of God raising him up from the dead. Or if I get ready to kill him, God going to stop me and give a substitute. He says, but I know what God promised me. Something's going to happen. He was so sure of that, that Abraham looked at the guys that came with him and said, you guys stay here. Me and the lad going to go up and worship God and we coming back again. And he knew God told him to take him up there to sacrifice. And so Abram took his son up. He's getting ready to kill him. He closes his eyes and he sees God raising him from the dead. And right when he's getting ready to lower that dagger and kill him, an angel says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Now I know. Turn in the thicket. There was a ram. Use this ram instead of your son. Now, here's what God was up to. Remember, he's working on a plan. Because he promised the devil in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. You will bruise his heel, but the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. And God's working on a plan to redeem man out of this mess that the first Adam got everybody in. And so what happened was, he said, Abraham, your name is now Abraham. I can't say it real good in the Hebrew, but Abram. 
And then there's this Hebrew gargle sound that means God. Abraham. And that's God plus Abraham. It's like the Williams and Berg family called Williamsburg. This is now Abram and Ha. God. Ham. One. Abraham. Now I'm not ne- I'm Negro, not Hebrew, so you have to just kind of take what I can give you. Amen. <laughs> so <laughs> pray for me. <laughs> so on one side you have these two covenant partners, Abraham, the father of many nations. On the other side you have God, Jehovah, the father of all creation. Abraham has his only son, Isaac. God is going to have his only son, Jesus. God tells Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice because God's going to one day have to offer Jesus as a sacrifice. God tells Abraham to take his son and offer him as a sacrifice at Mount Moriah. In the same region of Mount Moriah, Jesus would be offered up on a cross. But now remember the relationship. If one covenant partner asks you to do one thing, God asked Abraham to do that. Then God's got to take it to the next level. So God says, Abraham, you don't have to kill Isaac. I saw your vision of me raising him up from the dead. So I'm going to take your vision and I'm going to take this thing the rest of the way. You sacrifice your your son. But when I get ready to sacrifice my son, I'm going to let them kill him. Crucify him dead and buried. But then on the third day, I'm going to raise him up from the dead. I'm going to use the image that you had of me raising Isaac up from the dead. And I'm going to use it to raise Jesus up from the dead. King of kings and Lord of lords. Anytime a master builder is preparing to build a masterpiece, there is required a blueprint. Amen. So. God finally has a man on the planet that will obey and will believe his word. God finally has a man on the planet that he can speak a word to and he'll believe what he said. And so God began to use Abraham and Abraham taught it to his family and Isaac taught it to his family and Jacob taught it to his family and Joseph taught it to his family and Amos taught it to his family and Isaiah taught it to his family and everybody taught it to their family and they believed God's word and God performed his word and God did what he said in his word and God never lied where his word was concerned and all of a sudden it came down about 42 generations to a little girl by the name of Mary And an angel delivered the word to Mary, said to Mary, you're going to have a son. His name will be called Jesus. He will save the people from their sins. Mary said, how do I know and how can I get pregnant without having sexual intercourse with a man? And the angel said, the Holy Ghost is going to come on you and overshadow you. And Mary said, be it unto me according to thy word. And Mary got pregnant supernaturally, not by the sperm of a man, but by the word of the living God. Now, why did she have to get pregnant by the word of God and not by a sperm of man? Because this last Adam, Jesus, had to be like the first Adam. And the one thing that the first Adam had, that the last Adam was going to have, is the same blood type. 
And the blood type is determined by who fathered the kid. God fathered the first Adam, and so he would have to father the last Adam. It was the first Adam that got him in this mess, but it was going to be an Adam like the first Adam. He's going to be the last Adam, and he's going to get us out of this mess. So, nine months later, Jesus was born. The Word was made flesh. And Jesus is now walking around like the first Adam with the same type of blood in his veins that the first Adam had. Now the whole time Jesus knows that he's got to die in order to redeem this world. But he walked through this world and demonstrated the love of God. He walked through this world as a man. He was all God, but he was a man. He was a man that was anointed by God so that he could set an example of what we should be like. So he can set an example of how we ought to operate in the authority. So he can set an example of how to overcome the devil so that we won't do what Adam did. Hallelujah. But then the time showed up because God had found him a body called Jesus. God was in the earth legally. Now the devils saw Jesus and they said, we know who you are. You can't fool us. You're the almighty God. You can't hurt us because we know you have to be a man in order to have authority. And Jesus said to them, you just don't understand. You better ask somebody because I was born into this earth. I came in legally through the womb of a woman. Yeah, you know who I am, but let me tell you something you don't know. I am a man and I am God, which means I have authority to work on this earth and to do God's will on this planet. Get out of here, devils. And they didn't know what to do. See, in order to have legal authority on the planet, you have to have a birth certificate. Without a birth certificate, you don't have legal authority to operate on the planet. So you don't have to be afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid, afraid of evil spirits. You don't have to be afraid of ghosts. You know why? They don't have no authority. If the devil comes to your house tonight and wakes you up in the middle of the night, just turn around and ask him, do you have a birth certificate? Now, I don't want to hear all that growling. Don't be spitting on my carpet. Do you have a birth certificate? Because if you don't have a birth certificate, you don't have legal authority to do anything to me. So in the name of Jesus, get out. You have to have a birth certificate. Somebody shout, I have a birth certificate. So now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it begins... This thing was so horrible that at first glance, Jesus said, uh-uh, Lord, I don't know if I want to do this. But he said, Lord, not my will. Let your will be done. And the pressure of it all was so great that it caused God's blood to be revealed to the earth's atmosphere for the very first time. Now, the blood of Jesus was going to be a key in our redemption. And that blood began to go because God was cutting a covenant with Jesus, promising to raise him up from the dead, promising him that he was going to get him out of hell. And it starts. He was arrested. And Mel Gibson's movie, as great as it was, still doesn't give the real picture of what Jesus looked like after the whipping of the cat of nine tails.
people go around and talk about, well, I don't appreciate you trying to blame the Jews for killing Jesus. Let's settle that right now. Jesus said, no man takes my life. He said, I give it up. You got to understand, if Jesus did not lay down his life, nobody was qualified to take it. The Bible says he could have called legions of angels to come and to stop all of this, but he had to lay his life down because he was working on a way for you to come out of darkness into the marvelous light, and he had to keep his mouth closed. So while they were lying on him and while they were doing that, he kept his mouth closed. They stripped him naked. He didn't have a little jock strap on. He was naked. He was completely exposed. The cat of nine tails was a whip-like object that had, had tails at the end of it. And on these tails was every sharp object. It was glass, iron, metal, sharpened. So when they would cast that cat of nine tails, all the tails would wrap around various parts of the body into his flesh. Then when they pulled it off, it would rip the flesh off. Every part of his body was affected. Every part of his body. When Jesus was walking on the way of suffering, his flesh was hanging off. It wasn't the pretty little stripes all in perfect form. His flesh was hanging off like hamburger meat. You understand what I'm saying? His flesh was hanging off. It was open. It was hanging off. It was exposed. They took a crown of thorns. If you've ever felt thorns before, ladies and gentlemen, when you put it down in your head, it caused more blood to flow. Blood was all over him. You couldn't even tell who he was. He was beyond recognition. They beat him up. They spit on him. They kicked him. And after they ripped his flesh open, they put a robe over him so the blood could dry. And then they ripped it open again. They marched him. This is, do you understand your flesh is ripped open? You understand that? You understand me taking a knife and digging in your flesh and just ripping it open until it's just laying over? You understand? That's what it was. You understand when the, when the thing wrapped around you, it went in you, and when they pulled it off, they pulled the flesh off? Then they laid him on the cross where they took eight-inch spikes about this long, and they nailed the spikes in his hands, which caused more blood flow. They took his feet, nailed through his feet to that cross, caused more blood flow. This was a monstrous sight. They pulled the cross up, dropped it in the earth. You've never hung on nails. I mean, you're already broken up. And now you're hanging on nails, struggling to try to breathe because the position they had you in had you suffocating. This was the sacrifice that had to be paid for what the first Adam did. But it could only be legal if it was administered by a priest. So Jesus decided to be the sacrifice and the priest. You see, this redemption plan required Jesus to get into hell 
legally, but to be there illegally, like Satan through a snake showed up legally, but he was in the garden illegally. And hell would only take you in if you had committed sin. You have to be a sinner in order to be allowed entrance into hell. But how is Jesus going to get in hell and he never sinned? Well, remember, in covenant relationship, there's an exchange that takes place. Jesus, who had never sinned, had on a robe of righteousness. Sinners who sin all the time had on a robe of unrighteousness. So there was an exchange that took place. Jesus took off his robe of righteousness. The sinner took off his robe of unrighteousness. And they changed coats. And Jesus put his coat of righteousness on sinners who have sinned. And they put their coat of unrighteousness on a righteous man who never sinned. So that the sinner who had been sinning got the coat of unrighteousness on and looked like he ain't never sinned. And the guy who had never sinned got the coat of sin on and looks like he sinned. <laughs> For a moment, God had to turn his back on Jesus when Jesus put that coat of sin on. Not because he was, he was, he was turning his back on Jesus, but the presence of God in the presence of sin makes the glory destructive to sin. So Jesus died. And hell looked at Jesus on the cross and they said, he's ours. See, he's a sinner. And they took him in and that coat allowed him entrance into hell. And for three days they thought, we got it. We stopped Genesis 3.15 from coming to pass. We got it. We're not going to let him go either. There's this little rumor going around that he's supposed to get up after three days, but we're not going to let him up. We got it. Can you see the devil going around? I can't believe it. We got it. Right, we got it. We got it. Hey, we got it. Yeah, we. He's celebrating. He said, look, I'm going to go on vacation, man. And he called his generals in, death, hell, into the corruption. Say, y'all hold him. Don't let him go. Hold him tight. 24-hour watch. And Jesus was in hell, and he got there legally. <laughs> but after the third day, he decided to take the coat off. And for the first time ever, there was a light in heaven. And death, hell, and corruption said, what in the world? He said, I am here illegally. What do you mean? I never sinned. I look like sin, but I never sinned. I'm illegally in hell like your boss was illegally in the garden. And when he came in the garden illegally, he took the keys of authority. I am here illegally to take them back. <laughs> Hallelujah. And not only am I here for the keys, but there are a couple of people that you took that you didn't have a right to take. There are some captive people here, and I've come to set captivity free. So I want the keys, I want the authority, I want the seed, I want the people, 
I'm fixing it. I'm getting ready to empty hell of everything. Hey, death, you want some of me? Bam. Corruption. Try to corrupt me. You can't touch this. No, 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 no. You know. You, you can't touch it. And Jesus came and he got Abraham and he got Isaac and he got Jacob and David started dancing again and he got David and he got Isaiah and he led captivity free. But now let me show you something. Jesus went from life to death in order to get to hell. But in the pit of hell, Jesus got born again from death back to life and he led everybody who was dead back to life and people got saved hallelujah preached the gospel in hell they got saved and watch this jesus was resurrected from the dead but read your bible carefully because the bible said that the captive saints showed up in the city revealing themselves to their family members just to let them know that Jesus was not the only one to come out of hell. Every captive person that was in hell was resurrected out of hell that day. And he took his seat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And there was something that happened... There was a gift that was presented through all of that. And now let's start our lesson for today. Somebody said, you got all that out of that one line? Yeah. Romans chapter 5. Verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. We know that one man is who? Adam. And because of what Adam did, sin came into the world. But now notice, when sin came in the world, God had to release death. Why did death show up the same time sin showed up? Death will curb sin. In other words, can you imagine if you had all of the wicked men of every generation alive today still? What he said was, if sin is going to exist then death is going to be there to cut it off from that individual. And it'll start over again, and then he'll cut it off from that individual. And it'll start over again, and he'll cut it off from that individual. So as long as sin is around, death will have to be around to curb it. Now, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. The King James says, for that all have sinned. The actual Greek translation is, in whom all have sinned. In other words, the scripture is saying that when Adam sinned, we who came out of Adam, when we were in him, we sinned when he sinned. So all who were in Adam at the time that Adam sinned, automatically are credited with sinning because of what Adam did. So you were made sinners not because of what you did. You were made sinner because of what Adam did while you were still in his loins. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. Now he's talking about the law that Moses gave. He says until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed, that word means charged against. It's not imputed when there is no law. You can't charge sin to a man's account without a law. 
In other words, I can't give you a ticket for speeding if there is no speed limit set. There's got to be a speed limit set, a law concerning speeding, before I can charge you with a law. I can't charge you with something that's not a law. Let me give you an example. A lot of people saw Abraham saying that Sarah was his sister. And most preachers say, look at there, Abraham lied. Well, actually, you can't charge that to Abraham because there was no law against lying. So what Abraham did, you can't charge it to his account because there was nobody forbidding for that to be done. In order for that to be sin in Abraham's day, there had to be a law forbidding it. Without a law, then there is no awareness of the sin. Does that make sense? Unless somebody sets the law, how you know when you missed it? Unless somebody said that's wrong and there's a law against that, then how are you ever going to know that you transgressed or went against the law? But if there's no law set for you to go against, then you can't charge that to my account. You can't send me to jail for nothing that's not set as a law. Amen. So if I tell you to be quiet, unless somebody says you can't tell nobody to be quiet, that's a law, then you can't charge that to my account and send me to jail because ain't nobody made no law about telling people to be quiet. <laughs> if you understand that, say amen. amen. Okay, now. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned. That, another synonym for the word reign is ruled. Nevertheless, death reigned or ruled from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that also, even though you didn't do what Adam did, because of what Adam did, you are now called a sinner because of what Adam did. Verse 15. But, uh-oh, everything's getting ready to change now. Because that word but means to zero out. It's like someone says, I love you, I appreciate you, but, in other words, don't forget about all what they just said, just listen to what they're getting ready to say now. But you get on my last nerve. That's the only thing that remains. Okay? Devil came to you and say, you're broke, you're busted, you're disgusted, but you say, but I sowed a seed and God brought me out of all that. Amen? Okay. But not as the offense, so is the free gift. He says, don't compare this free gift to the trespass that Adam did. For if through the offense of one, many be dead. Lots of people are dead in sin because of what Adam did. But God is saying, I am not going to let the devil outdo me. So he uses these next two words, much more. Somebody shout, much more. You see, whatever the devil will do, God is going to do much more. If he puts sickness on you, then God's going to do much more healing. If he puts lack on you, God's going to do much more abundance. Whatever the devil does on one side, God is going to do much more on the other side. Somebody shout, much more. So think about what you've been going through. And now think God's getting ready to do much more. Hallelujah. That's called recompense. Everything the devil has ever done to you, God is getting ready to exact a recompense on you. And he's going to do much more of what you suffered. Get ready. The glory is about to hit your house. Somebody shout again. Much more. Much more. Mm. Woo, Jesus. Been broke for 20 years. Uh-oh. 
Much more getting ready to come. Been sick for 10 years. Uh-uh. Much more health. Been lonely for five years. Uh-uh. Overwhelming. Much more getting ready to hit it. God is never going to allow the devil to, to, to outdo him. Not ever, not ever, not never. If Katrina go mess up a whole state, then get ready for the glory to sweep this country like never before. God is about to show out because of disaster. God is about to show out. He will not let the devil get more credit in this planet than we will give him. Watch out over the next eight months. God Almighty is about to stand up tall in these United States of America. Somebody shout, much more. <laughs> I don't preach myself happy. Much more the grace of God. Now, what's the grace of God? The grace of God has been defined in times past as unmerited favor and love. That is correct, but that's just a part of what grace is. Grace is God's willingness to get involved in our mess. When we didn't deserve it, when we didn't earn it, it was unmerited. But he decided to get involved in our mess because he loved us. We didn't work for it. We didn't deserve it. But he decided to get involved. Now, I want you to thank God right now. Say, Father, thank you for being willing to get involved with my mess and help me. That's the grace of God, folks. All right. Now. Much more the grace of God and the gift that came by grace. So God showed up with a gift. He was willing to get involved in our life to help us. And he's going to use this gift to help us, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. So now we know that the first Adam brought to the world sin. The last Adam is getting ready to bring the gift. The first Adam delivered to the world sin. The last Adam is going to bring to the world a gift. Verse 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Watch this. For if by one man's offense death ruled by one, much more they which receive, much more they which receive, much more they which receive, if you'll receive the abundance of grace, and if you'll receive the gift of righteousness, then you shall rule in life. How many of you want to rule in life? How many of you time you're tired of being ruled by debt? You're tired of being ruled by the devil. You're tired of being ruled by your circumstances. Let me see again. How many of you want to rule in life? All right. This is what you're going to have to do to rule in life. Over these next three scriptures, it's going to explode on the inside of you. In order to rule in life, you're going to have to accept the gift that the last Adam showed up with. If you do not accept the gift that the last Adam showed up with, you'll be continued to rule over, be ruled over by Satan, by death, by corruption, and by sin. But if you'll receive this gift, somebody shout receive. receive. I didn't say you work for it. Because you can't work for a gift. You have to do what? Receive. I didn't say you earn the gift. I say you, you, can't, you can't earn a gift. You have to do what? Receive. Somebody shout, this is my receiving day. This is the day you're going to receive this gift. Somebody says, well, I got saved. I already got it. Now, to receive a gift means that you got pregnant. 
To receive it means you conceived it. When you receive something, ain't no doubt about it. When you receive it, it's yours no matter what's going on. When you receive the gift, nothing going to take it away from you. When you receive the gift, can't nobody talk you out of it. When you receive the gift, 9-11, Katrina, hurricane, can't take nothing from it. When you receive the gift, you stuck with it. It's in you. It's yours. It's it. Somebody shout, this is my receiving day. I'm about to rule over everything that has been ruling me. Uh-oh, nah, boy. Uh-oh, nah. Getting ready to have a changing of the guards up in here. We're getting ready to change the guards up in here. Something is about to change up in here. All right, watch this. Watch this. Very key scripture. Are you ready? Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made what? So by the obedience of one shall many be made what? Now who was the one man that was disobedient and made everybody sinners? Who's the one that's going to show up with the gift so everybody can be made righteous? Jesus. All right, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. What did you do? What did you do to be made a sinner? Nothing. The only thing you did was you were born. Your smoking and cussing and acting like a fool didn't make you a sinner. It's what the first Adam did that made you a sinner. <laughs> so you were born... Made this way because of what Adam did. Sinners practice sin. That's what sinners do. So don't get upset when you see them cussing and fussing and shacking up, racking up, stacking up, lying and dying. That's what they do. They practice sin. Sinners do that. They practice sin. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what you did. That's what I did. When we were sinners, we sinned. We practice sin because sinners practice sin. Sinners cuss you out. Sinners ain't trying to be nice. Sinners sleep up, shack up, smoke up, suck up. Sinners do all that. That's what they do. Don't be walking around talking about, mm, mm, mm. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. So the smoking, the cussing, and all that stuff doesn't make you a sinner. Adam's act made you a sinner. But Jesus showed up and said, I'm going to give you something that's going to give you a makeover. I'm going to do something for you Tara Banks can't do for you. I'm going to do something that plastic surgery can't do for you. By one man's obedience, we were... What? Made what? Made what? Made what? Made what? Now notice we were made what? We were what? One more time. We were what? So what question? What did you do? To be made that way. 
It wasn't what you did to be made righteous. It's what Jesus did. What did you do to be born with Napa Hell? You were made that way. You can style it and curl it and fry it and die, but when all of it wear out, it's going to go back to Napa. That's what you were made. <laughs> what did you do to be white? Y'all can't answer. You ain't white if you can't. You don't. Only the white people can answer this. What's the what's What'd you, what did you do to be made black? What did a black man do to get green eyes? Contacts. Man, I don't remember black man on green eyes. If we were made righteous. Why are we working to try to become righteous? Why do we keep working and sweating to try to make ourselves something we can't make us? You can't make yourself righteous. Jesus has made you righteous. You didn't make yourself a sinner. The first Adam made you a sinner. But the last Adam showed up to undo what the first Adam did. And the first Adam did something so you could be made a sinner. And the second Adam did, last Adam did something so you could be made righteous. Now all you got to do is choose the last Adam and he'll undo what the first Adam did. Alright, but here's the problem. We don't base our righteousness on that. We base it on our works. Because some preacher has convinced you that you got to work to be righteous. Hallelujah, you got to come to church 500 times in order to be righteous. You got to sing in a choir in order to be righteous. Aya, they're going to righteous right there. That ain't righteous. That's, that's probably gas, but that ain't righteous. Why is it that every Christian I meet is keeping up with a checklist so they can prove that they are righteous? You're not righteous because of what you do. You're righteous because of what he did. Let me give you a quick illustration. When Taff and I were first married, we moved in Timberlane apartment. And I was doing these things every now and then called consecration. And consecration was when you just get yourself by yourself with your word and your water. And you work on becoming more righteous. So I kissed her that day and told her I'd see her at nighttime because I'm on my way to consecrate. Amen. So I went in there and started consecrating. She was in the kitchen and she started cooking some spaghetti. So when I was in the room, the Lord asked me the first time before I started anything. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm in here trying to become more righteous. He said, you're already righteous. I didn't pay him no attention. So I got on the floor and I began to pray. And I was right there at the crack of the door. So I smelled the spaghetti when it was coming under the door. And if you ever tried to pray in tongues and smelling spaghetti at the same time, it's like, Ola kasapa spaghetti, paka spaghetti. You know, you, you, you try to, Lord, help me, you know. And so... The Lord asked me again. He said, son, what are you doing? I said, I'm in here trying to become more righteous. He said, you're already righteous. I didn't pay no attention until the smell of that French bread started coming through the door. I tell you, I started smelling everything and eventually, and that's when it freaked me out, I started smelling a great Kool-Aid. What you say? 
crying kid. I started smelling great food. And I said, Lord, I said, you know, and he said, son, you are already righteous. You were made righteous. You were made righteous the day that you made me Lord of your life. And it clicked. I said, well, since I'm already righteous and I'm in here trying to become something I already am. I looked up toward my ceiling and I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And I went to have me some spaghetti and french bread. That day I gained concept of what it was all about. Prayer doesn't make you righteous, but righteous people pray. Fasting won't make you righteous, but righteous people will fast. Singing in the choir won't make you righteous, but righteous people will sing. Hallelujah. Tithing won't make you righteous, but righteous people will tithe. I had to understand that what God was trying to get me to see, accept who you are in me and then go to the Bible and find out what you do. Like sinners sin, they practice sin, righteous people practice righteousness. But you're so busy trying to allow righteous acts to make you righteous, you don't receive your righteousness. And in trying to work for your righteousness, you really show a level of doubt for what I did for you. And all of a sudden now you think what you're going to do is going to outdo what I've already done done to make you. I'm just asking you to receive who I already made you to be. I am the righteousness of God. <laughs> you know what it means to be righteous? This is a gift. You don't earn it, you receive it. I know righteousness means right standing before God. Being right with God. But here's the definition I like. Righteousness means to stand before God without the sense of guilt, without the sense of condemnation, and without the sense of inferiority. For me to be able to stand before God, no guilt, no condemnation, no inferiority. So what is devil going to try to do to rob me of my righteousness? Get me to feel guilty, get me to feel condemned, get me to feel inferior. How will he do that? He will use sin. Sin makes cowards of men. When a man sin, Satan uses the guilt of it to try to rob you of your righteousness. And he will tell you, oh, you sin. You can't be righteous. Look at what you did. Because he don't want you to look at what Jesus did. See, all you got to do is when you sin, repent of your sin, and he'll forgive you, and, and he'll cleanse you, and he'll cast it as far as the east is from the west, and he'll, he'll cast it in the depths of the sea. That's all you got to do. Sin is no problem. But see, if you don't understand that you're the righteousness of God, then you won't take advantage of your right to repent of your sins, and you'll allow guilt and condemnation to push you away from your righteousness. And before you know it, you'll be over here in shame and condemnation, feeling like you can't pray, feeling like you can't come to church no more, feeling like you don't have a right to do none. I'm just an old filthy rag saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, I used to be a sinner, but when I was saved by grace, I am now a new creature, a new species of being that's never existed before. I'm so fed up hearing people say I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, which one are you, sinner or saved? You see, folks, it's just, it's just like a, a girl, let's say she get pregnant, all right? She was a Christian girl. They made a bad decision. She got pregnant. On this particular sin, you can happen to see it. So she walks in seven months later. She's got a big belly. And you know what the righteousness of God will do? 
they will look at her and judge her immediately and say, Oh, I can't believe, look at that old sinner. Look, I can't believe she coming to church, standing up praising the Lord, knowing she ain't married. And what you failed, what you forget about is what happens if she goes before God and says, Father, I have missed the mark. I have sinned. Please forgive me, Lord. But I know two wrongs won't make a right. So I'm not going to abort the baby. I'm going to have this baby, Lord. And I want you to forgive me for how the baby was conceived and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And Father, I declare right now with a baby in my stomach that I am the righteousness of God. Okay? So she's, she's free from condemnation. She's free from guilt. And so she comes to church because she's free. But then there are some of us who are not free. So when she came to church, we started pointing fingers. And she's the righteousness of God. And I began to think, you know what? The girl with the big belly ain't the only one that sinned. We just can't see the results of everybody else sinned. And I started thinking, what if every time you sinned any sin, your head would grow about an inch and a half every sin? And then you've been doing that for two weeks and you came to church and a big old head just falling over you walked in like that. Somebody said, God, dog, boy, you've been sinning all month, ain't you? And what people have a habit to do is when they miss the mark, they try to work real hard to make themselves feel better about what happened so they can get back into things of God. People have left the church. Because they missed the mark. They sinned. And they were afraid to come back because the Christians would look down at them. They were afraid to, 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 to show up because, after all, the Christians do what they did. And, folks, that's not how we ought to do it. We ought to walk in love and not in judgment. We ought to realize that the only reason you're righteous is because Jesus. And the only reason they're righteous is because of Jesus. And if they miss the mark, they can repent and God will forgive them. And they can continue to say that they're the righteousness of God. And we don't understand that. Every time I teach this, somebody goes around talking about, well, it sounds like you're trying to give us a license to sin. You don't need a license to sin. You've been sinning without one. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get you to understand that the love of God and the mercies of God and the blood of Jesus can take care of your sin. But you cannot allow the sin to take care of you, to make to fill you with guilt, to fill you with condemnation, to fill you with hurt and inferiority. And you feel ashamed and you feel like God don't want to have nothing to do with you no more. And you run away from God and you run away from Christians and you run away from the church because you have failed. And I'm telling you, that's not right. I'm telling you that you are the righteousness of God. All you got to do is repent and keep on practicing your righteousness. Everything is going to be all right. You just keep on trucking. God will take care of you. Who do we think we are? Who do you think you are? want to condemn somebody for some of the same thing you're guilty of. When if it were not for Jesus, we would all be in the same boat. No matter how much work we do. Because we're not righteous because of our works. There are lots of people who sing in choirs in hell right now. There are lots of preachers that preach on the pulpit in hell right now. No. When I miss the mark, please listen to me. The sin of a sinner is different from the sin of the righteous man. The sinner sins. <laughs> That's what he does. But when the righteous man sins, he has a right to repent. He has a right to be cleansed so he can continue to practice righteousness. 
Oh, but Brother Dollar, you know the Bible says, For we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. <laughs> well, we read that one wrong. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Somebody shout out loud, I'm free. No more condemnation. No more guilt. No more inferiority. I am free. I am the righteousness of God. Don't care how many times I've fallen. If I will get up, I will still be the righteousness of God. I am righteous. Not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus has already done. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm the righteousness of God. Amen. Amen. Be free right now. Be free of the guilt and the shame. Be free of it. Now, the reason why God don't want you to sin is because sin will bring the guilt, and the guilt will affect your confidence. And in order to get things to work, you've got to have confidence. But if the guilt is there in your life, then you won't have confidence that God will do certain things. And that's why He don't want you to sin. Because He knows you're going to have to have faith and confidence in order for the Word to work. But the Word won't be working if, if, if when you're working the Word, you're thinking about the sin you did last night, and then it's saying, you ain't worthy. You, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's why God wants you to stay away from that, because sin makes cowards of men. A coward is somebody that won't do what they have a right to do. And that's what sin will do. It'll make a coward out of you. That's why I don't want you to sin. But if you sin, He'll forgive you. If you sin, He'll cleanse you. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm about better with these Christians going around here just talking to talk but not walking to walk. Well, I'm fed up with you going around judging everybody. You don't even know what you're talking about, Bubba. Man, I repent to you for any condem condemning word that I've ever preached. I ask you, I beg you to forgive me. That if any time you came to this church and I made you feel condemned and ashamed and, oh God, pray for me. I don't want to do that. There's too much good in the Bible to preach, to be beating you up when you come here. You get beat up outside. You get beat up at work. You get beat up around people around the world. I don't want you to get beat up when you come to church. I don't want to condemn you. Jesus said, I did not come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. The churches have created what I call a culture of condemnation. And we condemn people into giving. We condemn people to come to church. We condemn people to join department. We make them feel guilty. We make them feel bad. We make them feel ashamed. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You got them five never had children over there in the children's ministry. You won't even work not just one time out of a month. That ain't how you do it. Forgive me, praise God. I didn't know any better. But I do now. And from now until Jesus come, I'm going to love you right on in heaven. And when you fall, don't you come whining to me. All I'm going to do is say, get up, baby. There's a whole lot that needs to be done. All I'm going to do is say, get up, honey. There's a whole lot that needs to take place. All I'm going to say is, get up, arise, and shine, for the light has come. Amen. Praise God. You ain't break that camera, did you? <laughs> I might have been shouting, but I heard that camera. Don't put it back on that thing. It, it, you probably need a new one. Don't put it back on the thing. 
hold it on your shoulder or turn it off. Now, Romans chapter 3. It's like one time I was preaching one time and I got excited and my diamond ring went off and the anointing was strong and, and I saw that ring. I said, hold on a minute, praise the Lord. Last scripture. Y'all getting anything out of this this morning? Are you free this morning? Romans chapter 3 verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in the sight. For the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith. You see, I am righteous because I believe what the Word says, by faith. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, this righteousness is unto all, and this righteousness is upon all them that believe. For there is no difference between this righteousness and for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's what he is saying. You can't read verse 23 by itself. You just can't lift that up and say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why I slapped her. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why I smoked that reefer. For all have sinned and come short. You can't use that as an excuse. That ain't even what he's talking about. What he says is, this righteousness which is by faith has been made available unto all and has been made available unto all that believe. For there is no difference between the availability of righteousness and the availability of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, so all can be righteous by faith. That's what he's saying. He says, since sin was made available to everybody, I'm going to make righteousness available to everybody. And since all had sin available to them, all who believe can be righteous. Hallelujah. So the next time some preacher gets up to say, well, you know, Reverend, we all have sinned and come short of the glory. You just jump up and say, praise pray, pray, the Lord, praise the Lord. That's not true. Because that will give you this condemnation complex. And you'll walk around beating yourself up, telling yourself you're no good. You're a filthy rag. You're just not worthy. I can't believe after Jesus shed his blood, we can still get up and say we're unworthy when his blood made us worthy. We can get up and say we're unrighteous when his blood made us righteous. May the power of God flow in your life. May you be so free from condemnation. May you receive this gift of righteousness. And cause the power of God to just be strong in your life because you know who you are. We are the righteousness of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no walking, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no walking, pretty, please. Today you have heard the basis for our salvation. And because of Jesus, we all have a right to be the righteousness of God. But we all have to accept Him into our life as Lord and personal Savior. You've tried the rest, but now it's time to try the best. Jesus is the best. Look at all the things He's done for us.
How can you turn him down? Let him in your heart today. Let him in your life today. Receive him. Right now, those of you who are here, if you've never been born again and you say, Pastor Dollar, I want to be born again today. Would you lift your hands up right where you're seated? You say, I want to be saved today. I, I'm not born again, but I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone that will die for me, for anyone that would go to hell for me, for anyone that would be made sin for me, I'll give him my life. If you're not saved, raise your hands. Not being deep. If you're ashamed to confess him before men, he'll be ashamed to confess you before the Father in heaven. And besides, this ain't about nobody but you. It's time to give your life to God. You can put your hands down. Secondly, if you're here and you want to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, if you'd like to receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And last, if God's called you to join this church, you make the decision. That, that's where we are. If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity, in heaven or in hell? Marvel not, I say unto thee, you must be born again. When you start loving God, you're not going to want to sin. You don't want to displease somebody that loves you and has done so much for you. You're one decision away from eternal life with God. You're one decision away from eternal life with God. Make a good decision today. And finally, if God wants you to join this church today, this may be the certain brook that God's calling you to. If, if, if this is the certain brook, get here. Get here, man. Get connected. Get hooked up. Don't let nothing stop you. Just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Those of you who've made a decision to get born again, rededicate your life to Christ, join this church. I want you to get your Bibles and personal belongings and meet me down front here. Everybody else, I want you to turn to your left, right, front, behind and minister to the people around you the same thing I just ministered. Come on, let's turn this into a big soul winning field for the Lord Jesus Christ. Congregation, would you stand at this time? Those of you who are coming, come on at this time.